We use a lot of plastic. Think for a second just how much comes across your hands in the course of a day. A Ziploc bag in a kid's lunchbox, your go-to cup of morning coffee and that plastic lid on top, your toothpaste tube, your shampoo bottle, the packaging on those holiday presents you ordered. Some of those plastics might be polyvinyl chloride. It's one of the most commonly used plastics found in everything from construction materials to medical equipment to clothing. And it really could never be recycled until now. I can just speak briefly from the interest that I've gotten over email since this paper came online. I've gotten some PVC manufacturers, a flooring company, uh, looking for ways that they can repurpose their waste. And I've also heard from institutes that are focused on trying to develop ways to recycle PVC in the future. This is Stateside. I'm April Baer. Two University of Michigan researchers have now discovered a way to convert discarded PVC into a usable material on a massive scale. One of them, Anne McNeil, is a professor of chemistry and macromolecular science and engineering. Danielle Fagnani is a doctor of chemistry. She works with Anne. And they joined us to talk about this chemical process they came up with and what it means to our ever-wasteful world. Here's Danielle. So what makes PVC difficult to repurpose is that it rapidly degrades with heat. Other plastics, you can heat them and they'll melt and maybe they'll slowly degrade. But PVC, on the other hand, the polyvinyl chloride, the polymer will release hydrochloric acid very rapidly, which is highly corrosive, not something that you want to encounter a plume of. So that's what makes PVC hard to recycle by melt processing. Sure. That's not hard to understand. Hydrochloric acid can, uh, I guess, really mess up your day. Yes. (laughs) So what we're going for in reusable materials is something that can be broken down, just not too fast. Yes. Can be broken down, but not too fast and not into something that's highly corrosive. And the last time we talked, you had this idea that you were working on for a process that might break down PVC in a way that would work in large industrial settings. Can you remind us what your idea was? Yeah, I mean, this was an idea that Danielle and I came up with together, but basically we viewed HCl that we've been talking about, this hydrochloric acid, even though it is a toxic and corrosive gas, it's also a really useful reagent for a lot of chemical syntheses. Over 85% of the syntheses that happen in the pharmaceutical industry use chlorine chemistry. And so we thought, you know, PVC has this chlorine on it that is problematic from the context of recycling, but it's actually really useful for a lot of synthetic processes that are used in industry. So we were like, can we take this chlorine off of the PVC in a really slow, controlled fashion and then repurpose that chlorine right away directly on on another molecule, like a drug molecule, to make something productive. So we're trying to tie the bad part of PVC to something really good. And in the process, kind of make two good things out of it. So could you guys take me to the moment in the lab work where you realized that you were really onto something here? Maybe what the process looks like? Sure. I remember this moment. (laughs) It It was right before all the COVID stuff started. But we have this piece of equipment called an electrocin. So it is a synthetic piece of equipment that uses electrochemistry. And we put PVC in and we put in the molecule that we were chlorinating and changed the configuration. And we saw that the PVC, the whole mixture was getting darker (laughs) 
And then we put an aliquot on another piece of equipment <laughs> called the GCMS. And we saw the peak of a, a product formed. But the real exciting part was that I set up the same reaction with a little bit of this phthalate plasticizer. And that peak that was the product that we were looking for, that peak got way bigger. So we were forming a lot more product um, when we had the phthalate present, which meant the phthalate was improving the process, which led us down the path in the paper to do all the analyses and, and figure out this plasticizer mediator, which is sort of like a catalyst. The plasticizer is another reason why PVC is like really hard to recycle. They actually really try very hard to prevent PVC from getting into the recycling stream because it contains so many plasticizers which are these small molecules that soften the material and they can be present by as much as 70% the mass of the material can be this plasticizer. And so these things, these plasticizers will leach into the recycling stream and contaminate and basically ruin the entire batch of recycling if they get in there. So um, one of the cool things about our work as well is that we were able to take the plasticizer and repurpose it for something good. Instead of being something bad in the recycling, it's actually something good. So do chemists high-five when something like this happens? <laughs> yeah, I think by that time, you know, we were on doing it over Slack, you know, the virtual high-five. <laughs> but I, I remember in the lab watching the chromatogram because this analysis process takes about 30 minutes and the peak that I wanted came out about halfway. And I remember sitting there waiting for the peak to come up. I was like, okay, 30 more seconds, it's going to come up. <laughs> And then it did. It was sort of like a horse race. Like all the excitement happens within two minutes. <laughs> That's awesome. Danielle, could you tell us what the byproducts can be used for? Like what's the possibility of stuff you could make with the repurposed PVC? Right. Well, so there's the chlorine aspect. So we're taking the chlorine atoms from PVC and putting that onto small molecules. And they can be used in a wide range of applications a lot of them can be reactive intermediates to form a drug molecule or maybe a dye molecule or a host of other types of applications. And it could also be used as the drug molecule itself. We have a few examples of pharmaceuticals that are chlorinated. And then we also have the polymer byproduct. So we've removed the chlorine from the polymer and then we have some of the dechlorinated polymer left over. And that's something that's currently under investigation to find uses for that. So there are different properties with that polymer that perhaps a polymer could be used directly. Additionally, if we can get all of the chlorine off, which I think that process <laughs> still needs to be optimized, but if we could get all of the chlorine off the polymer, then we're left with just a hydrocarbon, which could be pyrolyzed. And do you mind telling us the story of your collaboration? Yeah, Danielle came to work with me after she graduated with her PhD. She came to work in my lab as what's known as a postdoc. So it's a sometimes two or three year stint after your PhD, but before you go off to your independent career in industry. Yeah. How long had you two been working together? I joined Anne's lab in the summer of 2018. That's when Anne was first starting to work on repurposing polymers and plastics in her lab. And I remember we had a meeting very early on <laughs> where one of my coworkers or former coworkers at the time, he was working on polyacrylic acid. And I remember Anne saying, okay, let's go after any other polymer besides, <laughs> besides that one. 
And I was like, okay, let's try. I thought about it for a bit. And I was like, let's try polyvinyl chloride because chlorine is a useful reactive handle in chemistry. Maybe there's something there. Yeah. And I would say largely we're interested in polymers that aren't currently recycled at all. Like you mentioned at the beginning, like 0% of PVC is recycled through conventional techniques right now. So we're interested in developing chemical approaches for things that aren't currently being addressed in the waste stream. Right. I'm not sure how unusual it is across disciplines, but it just knocks me out that all this came together at a time when, like, you know, like we've said, a lot of people weren't in person together and, you know, maybe didn't think they were having the kind of conversations that would, that would lead to much of anything. But I mean, it doesn't sound like it was really disruptive to your, your thought processes with this. Definitely the thought process of science continued through the pandemic, but the labs were shuttered for quite some time that put a big pause on our ability to like take these exciting results and move them forward in a quick way. So the project definitely took longer because of the pandemic, but from an intellectual standpoint, we were pushing it forward in our minds. (laughs) And there was a lot of time before the pandemic that we were discussing PVC recycling and chemistry involved. So uh, the actual lab work happened around that time, but there was also intellectual work that happened way beforehand and during the pandemic. We need to take a short break. When we come back, we'll talk practical applications. One thing I love about the circular economy is that there is no such concept of waste. Waste is just an intermediate to something new. More after the break. Support for the Stateside Podcast comes from Kalamazoo College, offering a personalized education that combines critical thinking, curiosity, and creativity. Committed to preparing students for meaningful careers that make a positive impact on the world. More at kzoo.edu. Support for Michigan Public's Stateside Podcast comes from Lake Trust Credit Union, working to empower financial well-being for Michigan consumers, businesses, and communities. Committed to financial solutions and advice to support people and families. More information at laketrust.org. And ever since the last time we talked, I have not been able to let go of this idea of how much plastic all around us, it just never gets recycled. Stuff like my car's dashboard. I don't know that that's ever going to get recycled somewhere or, you know, a super random fruit cup that my daughter had at a party. And I just, I don't know what's going to happen to that. And I wouldn't say I've been entirely crippled in my my life and use of consumer products, but at the same time, once you start to see this stuff, it's kind of hard to unsee it. Danielle, is there any particular place that you feel like research should be looking in the years to come? That's a really good question. <laughs> so billion dollar so, question field. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a lot of ways to answer that. And I, I think one one key thing I want to say is that when it comes to the plastic waste problem, there needs to be multiple solutions. So there's not going to be a one size fits all solution to remedy all of the, the plastic waste that's already out there and what we continue to produce. But one solution should be that we have all of this plastic waste already laying around. It's there. We're producing more and more every year. What can we do with that? So waste itself is a new resource. 
how can we utilize this in a, in a productive way? And that's really all building towards what's known as the circular economy. Right. So instead of having resourcing production waste, we have continuous cycle of using and reusing materials. Yeah. One thing I love about the circular economy is that there is no such concept of waste. Waste is just an intermediate to something new, right? And that's kind of how we envision this process and any process that we take in the lab is like, this isn't waste. It's a starting material for another process. We just need to envision that process. Right. It's something that weirdly enough comes up in places as diverse as, you know, an Ikea blog. <laughs> but what are some what are some ways that you imagine uh, a circular economy changing the way that we the way that we live or the way that we use things? Honestly, if we can get everybody to think about their waste as a starting point for something else, whether it's food waste going to compost or plastic waste going to a new product or repurposing clothing, giving it to another person as, you know, instead of throwing it in the trash, just if we can all view waste as something that is valuable and can be reused in every aspect of your life, then I think that's our first step forward. <laughs> the second step forward would be, you know, chemists and engineers developing these processes that actually take these harder to repurpose things and coming up with new methods for repurposing them. So there's like a huge science and engineering sort of component to this. There's a huge consumer component to this. And I also think there's a huge producer component to this. Like there's a lot of discussion about extended producer responsibilities, but like, you know, these people who make these tons and tons of plastics and the people who are making products out of these plastics, they should have some responsibility to clean up the waste as well and, and repurpose that waste. So I think there's kind of a role for everybody moving forward in, in the circular economy. Ladies, last question. I wonder, Anne, if there are some other things that have been on your mind or that, that you've been thinking about in the lab that, that might be focuses for your research in the future. And Danielle, I guess when the time comes when you do bust out on your own, what kind of research are you interested in doing? Anne, do you want to go first? Sure. So one thing that I'm really passionate about these days is that, um, as you've highlighted in both of these um, these highlights, is that you know, we're thinking about ways of using chemistry to find value in things that are viewed as waste right now. And there's excitingly a lot of people working in this field, but one of the challenges is that it's not always going to be a better process. So if we, you know, take PVC and we take the chlorine off and put it in a molecule, we really have to check, is this going to be better for the planet as a whole, as opposed to just looking myopically at just this like one PVC piece of waste? Like, you know, does the amount of energy we need to put into this process compare to what the alternative would be. And so this is one area that I'm trying to push the field and my group forward is looking at the broader holistic picture of these processes. And one way you can do that is through something called a life cycle assessment, but you're basically looking at the overall impacts of the entire process, not just the one part that you're optimizing. And we did a really brief one in collaboration with another professor here at uh, University of Michigan, Jose Alfaro where we looked at the CO2 emissions, you know, for our process with PVC to chlorinate molecules and compared it to just using HCL that you can like buy. And we found that our process would be a 71% reduction in CO2 emissions. And so that says like, okay, we're on the right track, but there's a lot of chemistry and processes that are being developed that, you know, even in our own lab that we have to kind of tweak and think about it in this holistic picture. So I think that's 
you know, it's maybe kind of narrow-minded because this is like really specific to the people who are developing these processes, but just pushing the field to think about the bigger impacts, not just the one chemical transformation, but kind of what the whole system looks like and what that impact is on the planet is important too. Right. Danielle, what kind of stuff feels compelling to you? That's a great question. I am interested in a lot of things. (laughs) That's how I've always been as a scientist. But I'm very interested in the concept of sustainability. And of course, as a synthetic polymer chemist, I think about that in the terms of of polymers and and plastics. But there's a lot of ways that we can tackle making materials more sustainable. So one way, as what I was working on during my postdoctoral research is how can we build circular processes? How can we utilize waste for something productive? Another way to think about sustainability is how can we lower the emissions that are associated with the process? So that's more process optimization, which is also important. Uh, How can a product in use be less toxic? That's another way to look at sustainability. So there's a lot of ways to look at this. And I, you know, what I am trying to develop now is a very well-rounded understanding of all the materials that we're making, understanding of how they're being used, how they're being disposed of and different ways that we can improve this for long-term sustainability on the planet. We need to have creativity. We need to come up with creative solutions for making processes sustainable, utilizing waste. Um, But this also has to be scalable and something that could be adapted on a large scale, ideally a worldwide scale. So understanding that more from an industrial setting is is important as well. That's a great point, Danielle. I should point out too that the paper that we just published that you're highlighting is very early stage. It's not ready for industry yet. There's a lot we have to do as Danielle alluded to earlier, but that's what makes my job exciting. And that's the Stateside Podcast. I'm April Baer. Today's podcast was produced by Ronia Kabansag. You can find full stateside episodes whenever you're ready for more listens and more learning at michiganradio.org. Other producers on our show are Mike Blank, Mercedes Mejia, and April Van Buren. Our podcast editor is Rachel Ishikawa. Our executive producer is Laura Weber-Davis. Music for the show comes from Blue Dot Sessions. Thank you so very much for listening today. We hope you're having a good December. See you next time. Hi, I'm Rebecca Williams. I'm Lester Graham. We've been working on a big project about Great Lakes birds called the Bird Connection. It will look at ducks and trumpeter swans. Egrets and herons. And piping plovers. Yes! We'll discuss what we've discovered at a Michigan Public Issues and Ale event. Including how some problems for birds are problems for people. It's at Arbor Brewing Company in Ypsilanti the evening of May 21st at 7. You can register at michiganpublic.org.